Amen. Well, good morning. We are glad you're here. Uh, this morning is our last Sunday in our Abide series. So if you have missed uh, the first three, no big deal. We'll catch you up in a minute. But I would encourage you, go listen to the podcast. We have an app, Common Ground Carson. Just go to any app platform and look it up, and you can actually take notes right there. The sermon notes are, are there if you're tech savvy or if you're over 55. Just use the notes in front of you. That's fine, too. <laughs> um, <laughs> boo- oh, sorry. I, well, I, um, <laughs> Anyway, um, come on, if, if you're over 55 and you use the app, raise your hand. That's, you do? Oh, Bernice uses it. Okay, I was wrong, I was wrong. Um, <laughs> but this is our last week. This is our last week in the series. And here's, here's the big idea of what we've been looking through. The big idea really stems out of John 15:5. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. This is Jesus speaking. He who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. And we've seen that really our job as Christians is not to do anything for God. A lot of times we think that that God saves us, Jesus saves us, so we can go work hard for him. But the Christian life is not us working hard for God. The Christian life is Jesus living out his life in and through us. And so we are never commanded to go bear fruit. We are commanded to abide, abide. Just like a branch only bears fruit if it's connected to the vine, we bear fruit as we are connected to Jesus. We remain tight. We said abiding is sinking deeply into him, staying in relationship with Jesus. Now, today, if you do this, if we abide in Jesus, if we sink deeply in Jesus how is the world going to respond? Because if we actually do that, then Jesus's life will come out through us and the world is going to respond in a very specific way. That's what Jesus is going to talk about today. And I wanted to start with this video. Now, just a a heads up, this is a, it's political. (laughs) Um, This is a video of, of Russell Vogt, Vogt, I'm not sure how you say his last name. Uh, Trump was, was nominating him for, for a seat. And he is being challenged by Bernie Sanders. And here's why he's being challenged. Because he used to go to Wheaton College, which is a Christian school. Wheaton College fired one of their professors. The reason why they fired him was one of the professors said that uh, Muslims and Christians worship the same God. It's the same God. And so Wheaton said, no, that's not what we believe. You're fired. And so Russell wrote something in in a periodical referring to that and defending the faith, defending that the Christian faith is Jesus alone. And that is why he's going to be challenged. So watch this video. Their, um, their letter states, and I quote, we write to express our deep concerns about the nomination of Russell Vogt to the position of Deputy Director of the White House Office of Management and Budget. Mr. Vogt has denigrated American Muslims and the Muslim faith. His writings demonstrate a clear hostility to religious pluralism and freedom that disqualify him for any appointment, including that of the deputy director of the OMD, so for the record. In the piece that I referred to that you wrote for a publication called Resurgent, you wrote, Muslim, quote, Muslims do not simply have a deficient theology. They do not know God because they have rejected Jesus Christ, his son, and they stand condemned, end of quote. Do you believe do you believe that that statement is Islamophobic? Absolutely not, Senator. I'm a Christian, and I believe in a Christian set of principles based on my faith. 
Uh, that post, as I stated in the questionnaire to this committee, was to defend my alma mater, Wheaton College, a Christian school that has a statement of faith that includes the centrality of Jesus Christ for salvation. And Again, I apologize. I do, forgive me. I, we just don't have a lot of time. Do you believe that people in the Muslim religion stand condemned? Is that your view? Again, Senator, I'm a Christian, and I wrote that piece well, what does that say? The statement of faith of Wheaton. I understand that. I don't know how many Muslims there are in America. I really don't know. Probably a couple of million. Are you suggesting that all of those people stand condemned? What about Jews? They stand condemned too? Senator, I'm a Christian. I, I understand you are a Christian, but this country is made up of people who are not just. I understand that Christianity is the majority religion, but there are other people who have different religions in this country and around the world. In your judgment, do you think that people who are not Christians are going to be condemned? Thank you for probing on that question. As a Christian, I believe that all individuals are made in the image of God and are worthy of dignity and respect regardless of their religious beliefs. I believe that, that as a Christian, that's how I should treat all individuals. And do you think your statement that you put into that publication, they do not know God, because they've rejected Jesus Christ the Son and they stand condemned? Do you think that's respectful of other religions? Senator, I wrote a post based on being a Christian and attending a Christian school that has a statement of faith that speaks clearly with regard to the centrality of Jesus Christ in salvation. I would simply say, Mr. Chairman, that this nominee um, is really not someone who is what this country is supposed to be about. I will vote no. Wow. So that's interesting. The reason that's interesting is that happened just a couple weeks ago. Just a couple weeks ago that took place and we are about to celebrate the 4th of July, our independence. And this country was formed on the idea of religious freedom which is exactly that, freedom. And, and I thought he explained it fairly well that, that we should be respectful of all peoples, of, of every, Christ, every person, sorry, every person is made in the image of God. But yet he was challenged on his belief, not on how he would treat somebody else, but on his belief. It is unacceptable, according to that senator, it's unacceptable to hold an absolute view of salvation on Jesus alone. And because if you believe that, you can't have a place in government. That is continuing, but he's not the only one that believes that. That is going further and further. We are in a shift in this country, and it's going that direction. And it's going to continue. I believe it's going to continue to go in that direction. And Jesus is going to talk about this in John 15. Are we surprised? We shouldn't be surprised. That's what he's going to tell us. So turn to John 15, if you would. Just to sum up. The big idea, as I, as I told you there, is that we abide in Jesus and bear fruit. The goal, this is important, the goal is to bear fruit. Paul, uh, two weeks ago, talked about fruit bearing, and I thought he did an excellent job. But the goal is fruit. John 15, 8 says this, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. He says it again uh, in verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So Jesus chose those who would believe in him, brought them into his family so that we would go bear fruit. What is fruit? Just to sum it up, fruit is the life of Jesus in us being lived out through us. 
It's that simple. That's fruit. Fruit is the life of Jesus in us being lived out through us. Now, we can do a lot of good things without Jesus. That's not fruit. We can be moral. We can, we can even obey law and legalism. That's not necessarily fruit. It's fruit if it's done for the glory of God and the power of the Holy Spirit according to the word of God. Or as we say here, fruit is the life of Jesus in us being lived out through us, which means we can't really look at others and, and judge their fruit very well, can we? But we can look at ourselves and go, how are we abiding in Jesus? And is it him living through me? And our role, as we said, is to abide. We're never commanded to bear fruit. Is it go bear fruit, but your job is abiding. And so here's what abiding is. Abiding it is a continual lifestyle of maintaining union and communion with Jesus. A continual lifestyle of maintaining union and communion with Jesus. Then the fruit that comes out is the overflow of Jesus in us. Now, we, uh, last week we talked about the fruit, we talked about life, and so we had a little display here of pieces of our life. You know, we have our work, we have our family and our kids, and we have all this stuff going on in life, and we'll fit in church. Great, we should do that. But is going to church abiding? Not necessarily. It's part of it. Uh, we fit in there going to a, a home group. We call them outpost groups. Is that abiding? Not by itself, but it's part of it. Bible study, prayer, all these things that we do, these disciplines, we would call these disciplines. Is that abiding? Not by itself, although disciplines are helpful. One of the dangers when we start talking about walking in the spirit or abiding is we think we don't do anything. We just sit back, sit on the couch, and the Holy Spirit does all the work through us. Rather, we were saying our best efforts should be put toward a tight relationship with Jesus, which includes doing some disciplines, but it's doing it for his glory out of the overflow of love for him. He said, if you will abide in me, abide in my love. And so there's a, a tension there. There's a tension there in our life, isn't there, about being intentional to pursue Jesus, but yet not make it about the doing, not make it about legalism. So there's a tension there we have to recognize but abiding is a continual lifestyle of maintaining union and communion with, with joy, or communion with Jesus. If you abide, then you will obey. We saw that last week. When you abide, you will obey. Then you will have joy. It says this in 1511. If we are going to abide, we are going to obey. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. When you abide, you will obey. Then you will have joy and you will live distinctly and you will share your faith. That's what we see this week. You will share your faith. We're gonna see that uh, in verses 27 or in verse 27, John 15, 27. He says, and you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning and then you will be persecuted. That's the order. Let me read the passage for today. John 15, starting in verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. 
If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Father in heaven, we praise you. All praise, all honor, all glory is yours. You sent Jesus to display your glory, and he did it perfectly. And Jesus, here in in 15, we know he's about to go to the cross. These are some of his last words to his disciples before he goes to die. And Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. We thank you for choosing those, those 11 that were still there to remember what you said, to write down what you said, to guide us and lead us. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are the one that does all the real work. I thank you for the freedom that we have to simply abide in Jesus. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would enlighten our hearts and enlighten our minds this morning as we look at your word that we would fall deeper in love with Jesus and that that would play out in our lives and you would bear fruit in us that abides for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We see here Jesus saying, the world will hate you. This follows abiding. We need to understand where this falls. It's still in John 15. This follows the abiding life. If you really are going to pursue Jesus with all you are and live out of the overflow of him in your life, you will share it. You will live distinctly. Your life will look different. And then you will have opportunities to speak and you will take those. And some people will hate you. It says the world. He refers to the world several times. Here's, here's the world in 1 John Same author, the Apostle John, he writes a lot about the world. And here's what he always means when he talks about the world. This is the created moral order in active rebellion against God. The world. This includes, you know, the earth, but mainly it's it's all the people on the earth with, we're going to see later, uh, the prince of the power of the air, or he's called Satan, the devil. He's actually the ruler of the earth. He has a lot of control here. Uh, Of course, he can't even come close to touching Jesus, but he has a lot of control. And so he is influencing people, governments, all this against Jesus. And so that's the world, the world, the created moral order in active rebellion against God. And as he says here, if we are living like Jesus, if we are living out of the overflow of fellowship with the Father and the Son, walking in the Holy Spirit, we will live different and the world will will hate us. The world will hate us. Why? What's it say here uh, in verse 18? If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Why did the world hate Jesus? Did Jesus tell us anywhere? In John 7, 7, Jesus is speaking to his brothers 
who none of them were believers yet. Some of them became believers. And he said this to them. He says, the world cannot hate you. It hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. That's why the world hates Jesus, because Jesus testifies that their works are evil. He testifies to sin, and we don't really want to talk about sin, right? The, the world, there is no sin. Everything's okay. Do whatever you want. We live in a world right now, a, a country especially, of no moral absolutes, moral relativism. Do whatever you want. Well, that's kind of the idea. The world wants to do what it wants. And Jesus testifies, as you read the Bible and you get to know Jesus, he goes, no, that's sin, that's sin. We have a perfect God and we're supposed to walk in a way that glorifies him. The world doesn't like that. It cannot hate those of the world because it's like them, but it hates Jesus because he testifies that their works are evil. If we walk this way, we are going to live distinct. We're going to look different and we will give the same message to the world around us. Look at verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. This is really cool. As Jesus talks about who we are, when we become Christians, when we give our lives to him, we are taken out of the world spiritually kind of, but then we're still in the world. So what's he talking about here? We're taken out of the world. We're not raptured immediately when we're saved. We're saved the Bible says under this new covenant, we are made new in Jesus. The old things have passed away, new things have come. We now have a new Lord, Jesus living within us. As we walk in the Holy Spirit, we will look different and we are separated. Here's what Peter says, 1 Peter 2, 9. He says it well, but you are a chosen people. This is talking about believers. This is you and I. If by faith we have accepted Jesus as Lord, this is us, but you are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That, why are you chosen? Why are you different? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. So we are chosen, we are different so that we will sing his, just like now, we were singing his praises. And then we go into the world and we sing his praises, we speak his praises. And he says this in verse 11. This is 1 Peter 2, 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles, some translations say aliens, you know, you're, you're not of this world, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Here's the point. God chose us to bear fruit. He chose us, brought us out of the world, but he leaves us in the world to live distinctly. Our lives should look different, distinct. And then we will be persecuted. Verse 20 says this, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. Remember when he said this back when he was given the new commandment of love, right after Jesus washed their feet, he did the lowest of the low, the most humble job. He washed their feet, showing them his love. And then he said, a servant's not above his master. If I've done this for you, you should go do this for one another. And so the life of a Christian is one of loving service to fellow believers, washing each other's feet, going lowest of the low. But here, in the same idea, we're not above our Lord Jesus. He was persecuted. We will be too. You know, a lot of times the, the, the church will teach a gospel or, or we're danger, the danger of this or the, the temptation in evangelism is to tell people about Jesus, but just to tell them about all the good parts and to leave out the part that, oh, by the way, 
a lot of people are going to hate you. <laughs> if you do this, you're going to be excommunicated and, and some people in your family aren't going to like you anymore and, and things are going to change. We leave that out, but the fact is we, we can't leave that out. That's part of it. In 2 Corinthians, Paul talks about it this way. He says, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. What he's talking about there is our life. Because we're chosen out of the world, Jesus changes us. If we abide, we look different. Now we are an aroma. We smell. To those who will be saved, we smell good. To those who God has chosen, to those who will respond to the gospel, you'll share your faith, you'll speak of Jesus, and they'll go, this is the greatest thing I've ever heard. Thank you. But then others will respond differently. Others will hear it and hate you and hate the message. Uh, I did a funeral here in this room about a year ago. Um, and it was for a, a family, not, not a lot of believers. And so as I did the funeral, you know, we did the part about here she was, blah, 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 here's some pictures, whatever. And everybody's in tune with that. You've probably been to funerals. That's the fun part. You're, you're in tune with what's going on and oh, I remember her and how great is this. At a funeral though, I always share the gospel. Always. It, it's one of those things. If I'm going to do a funeral, I get to share the gospel. And so I started speaking of sin and, and Jesus and, and how somebody can have eternal life and security. And when I started speaking of Jesus, the room changed. The room changed. And there was really three different groups. There were those, when I started speaking about Jesus, that had been interested, and they were just like, where's the beer? <laughs> and one asked that. Um, and then there were others that were nodding. There, there were some that right then when I started talking about Jesus, they got a big smile. And they were looking around like, I hope people are here. You know what I mean? And it was those who probably already believed and they were excited about it. And then there were others. And I have never seen it this obvious before. Others started fidgeting and grumbling. And so, I mean, they just got this look of, of just hatred. And some of them actually started to get vocal. There was one guy sitting over here and he was going, and he was, get, he was gonna get up. He couldn't stand it. And his wife is like holding him down. While I'm talking about Jesus, he just couldn't stand the name of Jesus. This is what we can expect. If we are going to look distinct and share our faith, this is what we can expect. And we want to talk about this because we don't want to be surprised at how people are going to respond. We need to share our faith. When you are a bold witness, you can expect many to reject and even hate you. Now, there's a way out, if you want to know. Jesus gives us a way out in verse 19. He says, if you were of the world the world would love you as its own. Here's the way out. Look like the world. Here's the way to avoid persecution. Look like them. Look like everybody else and you're good to go. Don't affirm that Jesus is the only way to heaven. That's, that's not tolerant. Don't exclusively claim Jesus is the only way to salvation. Don't talk about sin. Don't talk about sin. Don't tell anybody that their way is bad. And here's, here's a great way to blend in. If you do share about Jesus, share it this way. Say, well, I believe, but you're free to believe whatever you want. I think my religion, I think this. Don't talk about it like it's actually true. Just talk about it like you think it. Or, or we actually stick by the truth. And if we do, they're going to come against us. Now, I remember the first time I really came up against this was my freshman year in high school. 
And I remember sitting in the lunchroom and there were some upperclassmen that came up and they were by our table and they were talking about the parties coming up that weekend and, and the drinking and all the stuff that goes along with that. Uh, and then they turned to our table and, and they said, hey, are you guys coming to this big party? And, um, and they knew I was a believer. I said, no, you know, I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to do that. They're like, no, we'll get you the beer. We'll, you know, just come. You can sneak out, whatever. I said, no, I'm, I'm never going to do that. And they just kind of laughed. They're like, yeah, you will. Everybody does. They said, you're just an ignorant little freshman, but someday you're, you're going to do it too. And I, I kind of boldly said, no, I'm, I'm not going to. I love Jesus and I, that's not what I'm going to do. And because of that, they, there was kind of two responses. One was, was anger and, and hate. And so there were some of those that kind of started singling me out and, and picking on. I was not a big kid, so I was easy to pick on. Some picked on, and some then it was gonna, they were going to convert me. And that's what the world is going to do. Either they're going to come against you and hate you, or they're going to try and convert you. And go, no, it's okay, just come our way. The world wants us to look like it. And so they'll try and convert us. And so I had those people too. Go, no, it's okay. Just, and they tried to convert me to their side. Many denominations and Christians have done this to the detriment of the church, to the detriment of the glory of God. And that's really what we care about, the glory of God. Whole denominations have denied the authority of scripture, have decided that certain things in here are just cultural and that they can throw some things out and, and just accept what they want to accept so that they look acceptable to the world around them. And, and some of these denominations have even said that in their meetings. We need to change some things because we're, we're not looking so good to the world right now. So we need to change some things so we do. But as Christians, if we're going to abide, we stand on Jesus, his life in and through us, we will look different. We will abide, then we will obey. We will have joy, we will live distinctly, we will boldly share our faith, and then we will be persecuted. Look at verse 26, because here he talks about we must share our faith. We could decide not to. We could decide to look, at the, look like the world, but if we're abiding, we can't. Verse 26, he says, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. Some translations in verse 27 say, and you must bear witness about me. You must. The reason why that must, what he's talking about here is the Holy Spirit in you, when he's in control, you have to. You have to. Not that you have to, but you have to because he's in you. You can't help it. It's what you want to do. It's what you want to do. And so if we abide, we will share our faith because he's living in and through us. We talk about it here. We are God's plan A to save the world around us and there is no plan B. Now we have to understand how that works and we're gonna see this. We're plan A as in we speak the gospel. We speak of Jesus. We live distinct and we speak. The Holy Spirit does the real work, changing hearts. But we have to speak. If we don't, people won't hear. The Bible talks about that. How will somebody believe if they don't hear the message? But for somebody to hear, somebody else must speak. For someone to speak, they must be sent. And we've said that here at Common Ground, we're all sent. So feel free to go speak and share about Jesus. We have to, and we can expect those three responses. But our responsibility is not their response. This is the important part. Our responsibility is not how people will, res will respond. Our responsibility is simply to lay out the truth. We must share the gospel. They will respond how they will. Now, look back a little bit. I skipped over a couple verses just to see we, we have to be sharing our faith. But Jesus here talks about those he appeared to, those who heard him. And he says some, some very difficult things. 
He says uh, in verse 22, he said, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Now, here's what he's not saying. He's not saying that they were innocent before they met Jesus. They, he's not saying that at all. He goes on and he's talking about whoever, in verse 23, whoever hates me hates my father also. So here's the sin that they're guilty of. They're guilty of the sin of rejecting Jesus. It's a very, very specific sin. Jesus came to reveal the father. These were Jews that he's talking about. Jews at that time, they wanted to accept the father, Yahweh, but they didn't want to accept Jesus. So they rejected Jesus, a sin that is condemning. And Jesus said, no, if you reject me, you're also rejecting the Father. You cannot say you love the Father and hate me. If you hate me, you hate the Father also. He's lumping that together. This is, again, Jesus saying there's only one way. Jesus says earlier, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And some people are going to go, well, I want God. That's great. I just don't want Jesus. Jesus says that's not possible. And the great sin is the sin of rejecting Jesus. Why? Why does Jesus tell him this in verse 16, 15 and then going into 16? Why does Jesus warn about this persecution? Look at 16.1. I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. Jesus says, I'm telling you this so you won't be surprised, so you won't fall away. Persecution is the great cleanser of the church. It is. When persecution comes, those who are just believers in word, they'll fall away because they're not willing to suffer for it. But those who really know Jesus, those who have Jesus living in and through them, they'll make it through. Now, I'm not saying you won't make mistakes through it. But Jesus in us will keep us. He's going to pray about this. We're going to see the high priestly prayer, uh, I think, next week, and it's great. And Jesus is going to pray, keep them, keep them in your word, because stuff's coming, danger's coming. Uh, we live in a time, we live in a time of more protection than the church has really probably ever had. Here in the United States, our, our country was formed on this freedom. We're, we're losing it. And I think it's going to keep going that way. As you read the Bible, I believe it's, it's supposed to go that way. And they're going to come against us more and more. But Jesus wants us to know that it's coming so we won't fall away. There was a period, you know, so Jesus, he had his 11 disciples. Jesus died. He rose again. He ascended after appearing to many. Uh, they, they taught at Pentecost. Thousands were saved and the church started to grow. The disciples, all of them were killed for their faith, except for possibly John, who was excommunicated. And then he died at an older age. And then we got into the second century. And the church was growing and the church was spreading and it went all over the whole world. And there were different periods. Rome was still in control. And there were periods where the church was safe. There were periods where the church was persecuted. And it just kind of went like this. Well, there was a time where it was peaceful. The church had a lot of peace. And a whole generation went through the church never having been persecuted until 249. In 249, a new emperor came into Rome. His name was Decius. And Decius decided that he was going to restore the glory of Rome. And the way that they were going to do it is they were going to bring it back to the gods of Rome. Part of Roman religion was, was of course, you know, the, the pantheon and, and worshiping those gods and worshiping Caesar as a god. And so he was going to bring back the glory of Rome. And so all of a sudden, it was not okay to be a Christian. 
because the Christians who were the ones saying, nope, there's only one God, we're gonna worship him, and persecution broke out. Many were killed, many were tortured. It, you know, they weren't just going out killing. Not as many Christians died in this persecution as in others. This one, they were grabbing them and torturing them, trying to get them to deny their faith, and many did. And as you read the accounts in history of, of this time period, they weren't ready for the persecution. This generation of Christians didn't know it was coming. They thought they were safe. And so when it happened, they didn't know what to do. Many fell away. And then the church had this thing after it was over uh, of what do we do with all the people who publicly denied Jesus? And so that's a, kind of a whole period in history. You can go study that. It's kind of interesting where they said, what do we do? And they started taking those who were tortured for their faith they were tortured and they still professed faith in Jesus. They were all of a sudden lifted up in the church like, hey, look at these people. They were almost martyred, but they weren't. Now they get to decide, these who did deny, do they get to stay in? Or, you know, it became a difficult time. I, I just point at that in history to say, when persecution comes, many will fall away. But Jesus is telling us it's gonna come to be ready. Are we ready? Are we ready? Now, I don't know if on our lifetime it's gonna come to killing us for our faith. I don't know. I would say probably not, but we will be persecuted in, in other ways. We will be excommunicated from, from families, possibly. We will be shunned. Do you know the, uh, the greatest time in history, as we're talking about history, where more people were killed than any other time in history? Maybe the Crusades, maybe the Decius persecution or some of the other persecutions. The greatest time of martyrdom for the church is right now. Worldwide, more Christians are dying for their faith right now than ever in history. Ever. We're protected right now to a certain extent, but we won't always be. And so that's why it's important that we go through Scripture and we see Jesus here saying, it's going to come. But be a witness anyway. That's our, that's our big idea here. This is what we want to get. You might be rejected for it. You might be persecuted for it, but be a witness anyway. Don't shut your mouth because of it. But here's the question. Here's what we're gonna move to next as, as we go through the passage. If we're gonna be a witness in a world like this, in a hostile world, how do we do it? How do we do it? And a lot of times we get this whole evangelism thing, this witnessing thing mixed up and we think that it's up to us. And then we don't do it because we don't know what to say and we're going to mess up. Or we do do it because we think it's up to us and we have to be really forceful and manipulate and get somebody to believe. But in reality, we have a helper. Just like we need help in loving one another. We saw this earlier. Jesus said, here's the greatest command, or you know, here's a new commandment, which is the greatest commandment, love one another. By the way, that's going to be really hard because everybody else around you kind of stinks. And so I'm going to help you. I'm going to send the paraclete, the helper the Holy Spirit, to come alongside and help love one another. He will dwell in you, Jesus said. Each of us has the Holy Spirit dwelling in us if we are true believers, true followers of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit that helps us love one another is also the Holy Spirit that will help us be a witness. And that's what he says back in verse 26. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness. I think this is extremely helpful because we see the order of evangelism, how we witness. Yes, we abide, we live distinct. People ask, Peter talks about that. You know, when you live distinct, some people are gonna ask for the hope that's within you. And he says, so you better be ready. Be ready to share. But we just do the word part. Ours is just the words. We can't create life change. 
The Holy Spirit does that work. The Holy Spirit is the one that woos the heart, woos the soul. The Holy Spirit's the one that makes it possible for somebody to believe. That's the Holy Spirit's work. Look forward, if you will, at John 16, verses 8 through 11. Because he's going to share, here's what the Holy Spirit's going to do. You need to go speak. Again, we believe we are plan A, and there is no plan B. If we don't speak, people won't hear. Or if we don't speak, God will choose somebody else to speak. I think that's more likely, and we miss out on the blessing of being part of what God is doing. But here's what the Holy Spirit does while we speak. Verse 8, John 16, 8. And when he comes, speaking of the paraclete, the helper, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. He will convict concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. The Holy Spirit will do the convicting. Here's what stuck out to me. It's not really in my notes, but as I studied this passage and, and, and pray that God would reveal things to me, here's what he revealed to me. Derek, you don't convict anybody. You share the truth of the scripture and you point to Jesus, but you don't convict any. And for a pastor, sometimes I feel the desire to convict people. <laughs> I want to see lives changed, and so I'm going to manipulate things so that your life is changed. I'm going to make you feel guilty, or I don't know, but I'm going to do whatever. That's not my job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. You know, I think of the, 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 the Bible-thumping, you know, good old Southern Baptist screaming hellfire and brimstone scaring you into heaven. You know, and I'm not saying that's the wrong way that, that, that works. I know there's a lot of hallelujahs that happen when that happens, but but there's a danger in us trying to take control that it's up to us. The Holy Spirit does the convicting. So feel free. Loose the chain. You're free to speak. You're free to speak with grace, with love, with a smile. <laughs> You're not trying to win the, the argument. You're trying to win the person. And the Holy Spirit is doing the real work. And it says he's going to convict. He's going to convict. Uh, three things. The Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. These are all in your notes if you're curious. But sin, what is the great sin he's going to convict them of? Rejecting Jesus. That's the great sin Jesus is concerned about, rejecting Jesus. So often we want to uh, convert people morally rather than convert them to Jesus. Does that make sense? You've probably heard this a lot of times. <laughs> there was actually a, a Babylon Bee article Alex showed me this morning. Uh, maybe you've seen Babylon B. It's farce, but it's hilarious. And what was the, the title was, um, Christians more concerned about cross-gender bathrooms than about whether those people are going to heaven or hell. Um, and, and you see this a lot of times, this anger against abortion. I mean, horrible things, abortion or homosexual or all this. And really, they just want to convert the people morally, go be good rather than introduce them to Jesus. Rather, People get to know Jesus, he convicts them of sin, and he creates that change. The Holy Spirit creates that change. And we're tools in that, you know, pointing out sin and speaking, but we don't need to convict or make them feel guilty. That's not our job. Because the great sin is rejecting Jesus. And the Holy Spirit will convict them of that. Jesus is the only way. Also, the Holy Spirit will convict them of righteousness. The word righteousness often is translated justification. It means being right with God. 
And we can only have eternal life, which is life here and forever, if we're in a right relationship with God. And many will think that they can have that right relationship by being good, being moral, or, or doing all the right things, you know, following the rules, um, or they don't think about it at all. The Holy Spirit will convict that righteousness is based on Jesus alone. Again, there's a lot of freedom in that. It's not about you. God doesn't look at you and, and go, hey, how good are you? He looks at you and he sees Jesus. Jesus lived life perfectly. We're going to talk about this some in, in coming weeks. It's going to be exciting. Jesus did what nobody could do. He did what Adam couldn't do. He did what Israel couldn't do. He perfectly represented the Father. He perfectly lived it. And so his righteousness was acceptable to God. And he died on the cross, making his righteousness available to you and I through his blood. And so now he, the Holy Spirit will convict the people, the world, of righteousness, meaning you cannot be right with God without Jesus. And then you submit to Jesus, you accept by faith, his sacrifice for you, and now God looks at you as clean. He looks at you and he sees Jesus' righteousness because he looked at Jesus on the cross and he saw all your sin. And so he will convict the world. You can't do it. It's all about Jesus. And then the last one, he will convict the world of judgment. Now, a lot of the commentaries disagree. What, what's this talking about, judgment? Is this talking about right judgment as in between truth and falsehood? You know, that's one judgment. Or is this talking about eternal judgment? I think it can be either. To be honest, they, they all disagree so much. Uh, I would lean maybe more toward a judgment of eternal judgment because it talks about Satan right here, that he's already been judged. And what's that? that's talking about Satan being judged. And he's going to spend eternity in eternal fire, in the lake of fire, prepared for Satan and his demons. So I think it's talking about that judgment, but it also fits along with the judgment, truth or false. Satan is the liar. Satan is trying to convince people to do anything but follow Jesus. That's why there's one name. Jesus says, it's my name they're going to hate. The name of Jesus brings more vehemence than any other name worldwide. And the Holy Spirit will convict them of judgment, that Jesus is true, that he is right, but also that if you don't follow Jesus, there is an eternal condemnation. There is a hell. That lake of fire that is created for Satan and his demons, non-believers go there. And we don't like to talk about that either. But it's the truth of the Bible. There is an eternal judgment. But we can avoid that by faith in Jesus. And we want others to avoid that by sharing Jesus with them so that they can respond. So what do we get from this passage? What's our application? The Bible says, be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. That's in James. What do we do with this? It has to all go, go back to abiding. That's where it has to start. If you take this and you go, okay, I have to go out now and share my faith, that's good, but let's start with connecting with Jesus. Let's start with an intimate relationship with Jesus. Then, yes, go share your faith. But while you do it, you're still abiding in Jesus. You don't walk away from Jesus or stop walking in the Holy Spirit and then go try and convert people. You're, you're abiding in Jesus the whole time, meaning when you have an opportunity to share your faith, you're praying the whole time. <laughs> Holy Spirit, do your work. Holy Spirit, give me the words to say. And I'm trusting you with this. And then you're free to not manipulate or not to try and win the argument so that you look smarter. You're free just to love them, to point to the truth and let the Holy Spirit does his work. The big idea today, when you abide, then you will obey. Part of obedience and living distinctly is sharing your faith. If you do that, you will be persecuted. Are we willing to do it as we walk and as we trust the Holy Spirit? You know, uh, 
we at Common Ground, our, our heartbeats, the reason we started was we looked at Carson City and said it's 93% unchurched. 93% unchurched. 7% of people in Carson City go to church. And are all those saved? I don't know. But our heartbeat is to see people saved. That's our heartbeat. You know, when we, when we first formed Common Ground and, and we do this and, and people will talk, you know, our ambition isn't to be the biggest church in town. That's not what we want. We don't want to grow through pulling people from all the other churches and being the best. We want to see people converted. Amen. We want to see people saved. Yeah, <laughs> we want to see people saved and then grow up in him and then take that and others saved and grow up in him. All of that is the Holy Spirit's work. All of that. So what do we do in that? We lean on him. That's why every Sunday at 9.30, we get together and we pray. We pray before the service because it's all up to him. And so here's, here's my heart for us with this, is that we hold tightly to Jesus. Get close to him and then let him live through you. And as you do, you will look different and then feel free to speak. Speak with gentleness and love, but truth. When you speak, it's not like, well, I believe it's, well, here's the truth. There is a God. He sent his son Jesus to save you. Place your faith in him and you can be saved. Just share and let the Holy Spirit do his work. Let me pray and let's continue to worship. Father, thank you for sending the Holy Spirit. Thank you that it's not up to us to convert anybody. Uh, thank you that you've decided to include us in this process, though. There is some kind of cooperation where we speak, but you, you make the change happen when we speak. And what's great is that we don't get the credit then. If people respond with faith or with anger, neither of those is our fault. We trust you, but we go, Holy Spirit, I, I beg of you, please, fill us up. Fill us up in a way that we are so in love with you, Jesus, we just cannot help but follow you. We cannot help that you are overflowing in our lives. And, and people look at us and go, you look different. You look like Shaq walking down a Chinese street. There's something different. And then, and then they ask. And then we have a chance to share. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you would be the power, that you would give us boldness and confidence, and that you would convict hearts, that you would draw people to you. Please, please show us who you're already preparing. There are people all over these cities already you are preparing them to respond to you. We want to be part of what you're doing. Thank you that we can trust you. Thank you that it's not up to us and we can be content in simply following and loving you. Be glorified as we continue to sing. Let our words, uh, our voices be a fragrant aroma to you. In Jesus' name, amen.